0: church school in the Bronx since then she has had the opportunity to minister to people in many different places and many different ways she studied pre-med and psychology and theology and graduated from Andrews University in 2000 she then went back to New York to teach science in public school and then returned to seminary at Andrew. Pastor Ray served as a staff pastor of New Light Church in Michigan while studying her Masters of Divinity with a counseling concentration, which she received in 2003. Pastor Ray then moved to Baltimore and was an associate pastor at Miracle Temple Church for three and a half years. For that past three years, she lived in Central California. She first worked at an academy chapel and next as the senior pastor at Hanford House of Hope Church. For three years, she served as the associate pastor at Tamarind Avenue Church in Compton, California. And for the past eight months, she has been the interim senior pastor there. More important than any place she's been is where she's going. Pastor Ray loves Christ. Therefore, she desires to make heaven her home, and she hopes you will do the same.
1: No, we
2: Good afternoon, church. Happy Sabbath to everyone. You know, after uh, watching that, the video, I was like, I don't even have to get up here. I <laughs> already preached my, my sermon for the day. But um, it's a blessing and a privilege to be here at Abundant Life, and I'm glad that we have the chance to worship together and to be able to fellowship in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. This afternoon, I'm going to invite us to um, go ahead and pray together and ask for God's Holy Spirit to be in this place as we open up the Word of God. Lord, we thank you so much for everything that has transpired thus far. As we are here in your house on your Sabbath day, we thank you that we've had the chance to hear the word through song and through prayer and through all of the different things that have happened up to this point. And now as we open up your word, I pray that you will open up our minds, our ears, and our hearts, that they will be receptive to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right now, um, The ushers will be passing out to you a handout. Those of you who were here last night, can I see your hand? Those of you who were here last night, all right. Praise the Lord. I'm glad that you came. I hope that you brought somebody else, and I hope that throughout this month, you will continue to bring people that you know um, need to hear a word from the Lord. And um, I'm privileged to be able to be among the individuals who you've invited, and I thank God for that. Those of you who were here last night know that I um, like to give out handouts so that you are able to follow along. On the screen, you'll see all of the different slides that correspond to the slots that are here on the paper. That's because we always hear sermons, but you only can remember a certain percentage of what you hear if you are If you're not an auditory learner, people learn different ways. But if you hear and see something, you're likely to remember that much more. If you hear, see, and write it down even more, and you can actually recall up to 90% of things that you see, hear, write down, and teach to somebody else. And so I'm giving you the opportunity so that when somebody comes to you and say, What was the sermon about? you can say, I got it right here and I could tell you what it is and hopefully that'll help it stay in your heart and you can also be a blessing to someone else. This afternoon what I'm going to talk about is the second part of breaking the chains. Last night we talked about breaking the chains of inferiority and to this afternoon we're going to talk about breaking the chains of guilt, breaking the chains of guilt. Now. I know for our little people, when um, your AY leader asked who, was the, who were the under 18 year olds, we had a whole bunch of under 18 people stand up. We had a whole bunch of little kids here for children's story. So I know there's a lot of you guys out there. Um, so those of you who are littler probably know this movie. <laughs> some, some of the ones who aren't so little said they know the movie too huh all right despicable me and it was it, i saw the first one and the second one is cute movie um if you know the movie you know that this character is named Gru, and he has behind him all of his little minions and Gru's job is being in the first movie a supervillain. And he wants to be the worst or the best, however you want to say it, the worst or the best supervillain in the world. He wants to be able to have people know that he is a despicable, evil, mean, scary villain. That's his desire. And he goes out to steal the moon and an opportunity to prove to everyone just how bad he is. And in this movie, you see how the lengths that he goes through, and not only him, but another villain, to try to compete for the title of the best villain in the world. But most of us don't like to be thought of as evil. Most people don't. Most people don't say, I want to be despicable. I want people to think that I'm evil. I want people to think that I'm mean. Most people don't do that. Most people don't want to be thought of as a despicable person, right? Most of us want to be liked. Most of us want people to think that we're a nice person to hang around. Our goals and objectives are different from being a villain. As a matter of fact, a lot of us try to be a hero, right? And so, it's really interesting that we spend so much time trying to get away from this image of being a despicable person. But even as we try to not be evil, we find that there are things that we do that we don't necessarily want to do. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to read in your hearing from the New American Standard Bible, and I'll start with verse 14. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Now, Romans is a letter that was written by the apostle Paul to the people in Rome, and he talked to them about something personal that he was going through. Paul, like us, did not want to be an evil person. He didn't want to be a bad person. As a matter of fact, he wanted to live his life for Christ, as I'm thinking most of us here want to do too, if not everybody here, right? We want to live a life for Christ. But even though Paul, like us, wanted to live for Christ, in Romans 7, this is what he says to the people in Rome. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do. But I'm doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, this that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin dwelling in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one that wants to do good. For I joyfully agree that the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner to the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And he talks about this conflict. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to be a good person. He wants to be a Christian. He wants to follow God. But at the same time, all those things that he tries not to do, the things that he tries to avoid, that's exactly what he winds up doing. He doesn't want to be a despicable person, but he finds himself sinning and finds himself doing things that he doesn't want to do over and over and over again. He says, I'm a sinful person even though I recognize that the law of God is good. And so I wonder if our struggles are not so much different than Paul's. I know mine aren't. I don't know about you. Maybe there are people here who say, nah, no, I've never done anything wrong, right? How many here say that they've they've never sinned, right? Yeah, well, you know, Romans 3.23 says that some of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Well, okay, I got it wrong. It says most of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No, it says that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody in here can relate to what Paul is saying, even though... We are Christian, even though we believe in the law of God, even though we understand what God's desire for is in our life, we all have fallen short of God's glory. And so every one of us, in spite of what we desire, we all have a despicable nature. Every single one of us. And it would be sad if it ended right there. We could just go home and just be defeated. We're all sinners. It's jacked up. Let's go home. That'd be a really short sermon, and it would be really depressing, too, if that was it. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Thankfully, God has told us that even though we all have a despicable nature, even though we all have done things that we wish that we hadn't done, God has given us a way out. I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. And this is a familiar passage of scripture for many of us, especially if once you go through Bible studies. This is one of the first scriptures that you should know. And if you don't know it, I hope that you'll commit it to memory. First John chapter 1, starting in verse 9, says this: if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's a promise to us. And we have to start off by recognizing and confessing that we have sinned. Because in verse 10 it says, if we say that we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. So we have to admit to ourselves that, yes, we do have a despicable nature. Yes, there are things about us that aren't the best but because he knows that he gives us this promise and that's a good word for today amen, amen. i know that there's some of you who said well is she wearing jeans because it's uh, it's youth day or or what why well i want to i want to share with you a story you guys know what this is anybody here z okay it it's a maze all right anybody know what kind of maze it is well it's sponsored by mcdonald's but this the the field does anybody know what kind of a field that is you might not because it's not necessarily very common here in in the west coast but it's a corn maze and has anybody ever been in a corn maze okay there's a few of you all right you guys are from from east or what All right, that's why, that's why. Because I'm like, most of the time when I talk to people about a corn maze, they're like, I've never heard of it. Well, basically, it's exactly how it sounds. It's a maze in a field of corn, okay? And I went to my first corn maze in Michigan when I was in seminary. It was a really long time ago. And when we went, I, I had never been, but I thought that it was this fun thing to do. And I had heard about it and we were just like, let's go in the maze. And you just basically, it's said nighttime. They set you off at the beginning and you try to find your way out and you have to get these little things punched along the way to show that you actually went through the maze. And so it's actually really fun. There's one that happens in the fall in California. Um, and so every year I've taken my church out to go to the corn maze. Um, ever since I was in seminary, and it's actually really, really fun. But the first time that I went, it rained, and it rained really, really bad. And so in the corn maze, there's corn, of course, but there's also dirt. And so when you have dirt and you have rain, what do you get? Mud. Mud, Exactly. So when I went to this corn maze, we were running through the mud in the night. And it, and of course, if you're running through the mud, you get muddy, exactly. And it happened that I was wearing these jeans, which are some of my favorite pairs of jeans. And, I, and I've had them for a really, really long time. And they got really muddy while we were running through the maze because we're splashing mud all over the place. It was a good time. But it took us about an hour and a half to get through and go home and everything like that. And so my jeans were covered in mud just covered in mud and it's kind of disgusting and so um so I decided what do you think to do to wash them right so I decided okay these I love these jeans I like them a lot I'm gonna put them in the washing machine I put some detergent in and then I let the cycle go and I took them out and they were. No, they were dirty still. Actually, <laughs> so so I had to take them back out the washer and then I had to rewash them again and after about 3 washes they got clean. Okay? And the reason why I went through the effort and the time to wash them not once, but twice, but three times was because I really like these jeans a lot. You know? They fit well. They were nice. They, you know, they're, they're just, everybody's got a favorite something. Some of you got a favorite sock. Some of you got a favorite, uh, favorite sweater. Some of you have a favorite t-shirt that's got holes in it or something like that. But you, it's your favorite thing, right? And so you keep it around. And there might be people in your family who say, why are you keeping this nasty thing that's dirty and old and two sizes too small? But you like it, right? Is yours. And for me, it wasn't a big deal to wash my jeans again because I like them. They're mine. And so when God looks at us and we don't do what he wants us to do, when we get dirty, when we get messy, sometimes we come to this thought that now I'm too dirty for God to love anymore. God will never accept me anymore. God won't bring me back into his fold. I'm too messed up. I'm too dirty. But if you and your favorite sock and me and my favorite pair of jeans and him in his favorite t-shirt and her and her favorite sweater. If we love these things so much, how much more do we think that God loves us? How much more, when we get dirty, do we think that God is willing to say, I'm willing to wash you, I'm willing to clean you, and I'm willing to do it over and over again if it's necessary? because I love you that much. You are far more valuable than an article of clothing. You're far more valuable than a piece of cloth. God redeemed you. He created you. And he says, no matter how dirty you are, he will forgive us. And the promise of the Bible tells us here that God will clean us up again. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, it says a righteous person falls down seven times, but they get back up again. Because even though we might fall and fail and get dirty and fail over and over again, God says, you are precious in my sight. And I will clean you up again, no matter how dirty you get. But it's interesting, though, um, even as we, the children's story was on point, too, as the young man talked about, that was his testimony. He said he went away and he came back, and God brought him back, right? And that was a very powerful testimony in the poem that we heard as well, where the young man was saying how he went through a period of time, a long period of time, where he was living outside of the will of God and God brought him back and redeemed him and saved him, even to the point where he didn't even have HIV. That's a powerful testimony. But it doesn't always work out like that. I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel. Second Samuel is one of the stories that you learn about in Sabbath school. And it's probably very familiar to many of you. Second Samuel chapter 12 tells the story of Nathan confronting David after he slept with Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba was somebody else's wife, Uriah's wife. He committed adultery, and then he committed murder. And so here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan comes to David to talk to him about his sin. And in chapter 12, verse 1, it starts saying, the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, there were two men in one city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, the poor man had nothing but a ewe land. When he brought and nourished it, grew up together with him and his children, it would eat his bread and drink his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. A traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer, but rather he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come. David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely this man who has done this deserves to die. He needs to make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you even much more than this. But why have you despised the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will take your wives from behold. Before your own eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with them in the broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. So after David gets confronted, he recognizes just how wretched and sinful and despicable he had been. And in verse 13, it says that David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. So David recognizes what he did. He confesses what he did. And the Lord forgave him for what he did. He recognized his sin. He confessed his sin. God forgave his sin. Awesome, right? But it also says that even though David was forgiven, there were still consequences to what happened. It says that the Lord struck the child of Uriah's widow that she bore to David so that he was very sick. David inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. The elders of the household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food. And it happened on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, and they said, while he was alive, we spoke to him and he didn't listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead? He might harm himself. But David saw that his servants were whispering, and he perceived that the child was dead. And he asked his servants, is the child dead? And they said, it is so. So David repented, he confessed, he was forgiven, but the child still died? There was still calamity in his household after that? There was still war because of what happened. There were still consequences for what David did. That doesn't mean that David was any less forgiven. That doesn't mean that David was any less redeemed. But it means that what happened had a natural consequence that was able to be played out. And sometimes we look at what we do and we look at the consequences of what happened and we say, but if God loved me, why did he allow this to happen? And it's not that God doesn't love you, it's not that you're not forgiven, but it's the fact that sometimes the consequences still leave tears in our lives. When I wash these jeans over and over and over again, they are not the same as they were the first time. Because going through mud and doing all this kind of stuff, they've got tears in the knees, and they've got tears on the back, and they've got tears in other places that you can't see because I got on this shirt. (laughs) (laughs) And even though it's been washed, they've been faded. Even though it's been washed, it's been torn. And that doesn't mean that these aren't my favorite genes anymore, but it does mean that over and over again, there are evidences of what has happened throughout their life. And when we look at our own lives, there are sometimes gonna be evidences of what has happened But that doesn't mean, don't let anybody let you believe that just because there are things in your life that are consequences, don't let anybody fool you into believing that that means that God has abandoned you. Because he still forgives you, he still cleanses you, and he still loves you, even if the consequences leave tears in your life. He said that he will give us second and third and 45th and 589th and 4,769 chances. He's going to give you another chance over and over again. And he says there is nothing that you can do that can make you so dirty to him that he is willing to throw you away. He says, I won't throw you away because you still have value to me. After David had this sin and after Nathan confronted him, he wrote this beautiful psalm in Psalm 51, and you guys know, know it, many of you do. It says that he asked God, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from From your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. He talks about, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is before you, against you, and you only have I sinned. I have done evil in your sight. You are justified when you speak, and blameless with you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin my mother conceived me, but behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, in the hidden part. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. God says, I am willing to wash you. I'm willing to cleanse you from the inside out. I'm willing to make you as white as the pure driven snow. And I'm not going to throw you away. Even as crazy as the stuff that David did, God said, you're valuable to me and I'm not gonna throw you away. And there's nobody in here, no matter where you have been, or what you have done, or what you have gotten into, or how many consequences are evident in your life, there is no one in here that God says, you're just too dirty for me, you're just too much for me. He says, I love you, and you are valuable, in my sight because if we can love these temporary things these just disposable things God loves you infinitely more infinitely more God has told us that even as we are clean he doesn't Leave us where we are. Because what Satan tries to do sometimes is tell us that because we can see the consequences in our lives, that that shows that we are always going to be what we've always been. He tells us that, oh, you see, I see that child that you had out of wedlock because you were promiscuous. There's evidence. So, you've been sleeping around, you're always gonna be sleeping around. Been a slut, always a slut. Homosexual, always homosexual. You're a liar, always a liar. You're a thief, I know you didn't pay your tithes last week. You had it in your purse, you ain't take it out. You used it for something else. Thief, always a thief. Your adulterer, always an adulterer. Because whatever you've done, you're always going to do. You're always going to be that. That's what you are. And Satan tries to tell us that, and we believe it. We say, because other people have called me this other people have said I'm that, and other people have labeled me this thing, then that must be who I am. Everybody thinks that I'm a cheater, so I might as well always cheat, right? Because that's what everybody says. That's what I've done. So I can't ever change. Satan tries to tell us that if other people can see what's happened in our lives, that there's no use. Might as well give up. All have sinned. Better keep on sinning. But that's not what the word of God says to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it was actually alluded to in the video earlier. It begins in verse 9 saying this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And this is true because we are told in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. So if we're all sinners, we don't get to inherit the kingdom of God. Right? Right? Verse nine continues, do not be deceived because neither fornicators or adulterers or idolaters or the effeminate or homosexuals or thieves or covetous or the drunkards or the revelers or the swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. None of you will inherit the kingdom of God. None of us get to inherit the kingdom of God because we're sinners. That's what the word says. The, Wages of sin is death. And that's where Satan would like you to stop reading. That's where he would like you to end. But that's not where the word ends. It says, all of these things that you've done, all of these things that we are, all of these things that we do, those separate us from God. And in verse 11, it says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. God says you were like that, but you don't have to be like that anymore. This might be where you came from, but that's not where you have to stay. You might have been a thief, But you don't have to keep on stealing. You might have been an ex-con, but you don't have to keep on going back to jail. You might have had a drug addiction, but God says, I can break those chains. God says, you might have been sleeping around, but you don't have to live that lifestyle anymore. God has said, I want you to know that no matter where you've been, no matter what you call yourself, no matter what other people have called you, you might be able to say that you were this, but were is in the past tense. And that's not what God has said is your present or your future. God has said, I am willing to wash you. I am willing to cleanse you. I am willing to take you with all your tears and all your scars and all your imperfections. And I am willing to change you into something new. God changes us From what we were to something brand new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away and behold, the new has come. God says you are new today if you want to be new today. God says the old things are past and done if you say that you don't want to have those chains anymore. Today, you can say whatever I used to be, I'm not going to be because God has set me free. And he has said he will change me from whatever I was to something completely new today. And I know that there are some people here who may feel like they have had things in their lives that have changed them and made them dirty, that have torn holes in the fabric of their lives. They might be things that you've never told anybody before, it might be something that You've kept for a secret for a long time, but it's been eating away at you. And you might be saying to yourself, can God mean even me? But right here on the bottom, there's a place for you to say, I confess. And this is going to be a place that's just between you and God. And you can start it any kind of way that you want to. You can say, if people knew, if people knew that I was doing drugs outside of here, they might not want me to be up in the church anymore. You might say, I want to stop. I want to stop the habit of lying. I want to stop the habit of being deceptive. You might write, I want to change. I want to change myself from being a prideful person, a judgmental person, a critical person, I haven't told anyone, I haven't told anyone the things that have happened in my life and the things that I've done and how I've not been honest with God and before other people or before my family or even to myself. Whatever it is that you're convicted of right now, I'm gonna invite you to write it down. And what we're gonna do, no one is gonna see whatever you write. What we're gonna do today is I'm going to invite you to write it down, and I'm going to ask you to come to the front and just put it in the bag here. And at the end of this service, we're going to go outside and we're going to burn up all of these things. And we're going to say, God, today we're asking you to make us new. Today we're asking you to take all these things that we confess, and we're asking you to break those chains. We want today God to make us into what he wants us to be and to leave whatever past things are behind. And so I'm going to give you a few minutes in your own time, your own space, to write down whatever it is that you're asking God to forgive you of. Whatever thing that you want to confess, I'm not going to look at it. Pastor Madden's not going to look at it just whenever you're finished, go ahead and put it here in the bag, and we're going to, after service, we're gonna go outside and we're gonna say, God, we're symbolically lifting these things up to you and asking you to take them away forever. I don't know if my musicians are here, but I'm gonna invite us to, if you can play I Surrender All, because we want everything in our lives that is not like God to be taken away today. And we want God to change us into who he wants us to be. anybody else has told you, you have to live like, you don't have to do it anymore. I don't care what anybody else has labeled you, what anybody else thinks about you. They're not the ones who are in charge of your life. God says that if we give ourselves to him, he is willing to take control of us, and make us into who he wants us to be. It doesn't matter if anybody else is looking at you saying who that person is and why she's getting up or why is he up there. It doesn't matter. Today we're saying, God, we recognize that we want to be changed and we don't have to stay the same. And we want the Lord to make us into who he wants us to be. Once again, I surrender all. Your desire to just today say, God, I am done. I want to be new. I want you to raise your hand. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, you see the hands of every person in this sanctuary who says they are done with all the things of their past that may have been dragging them down, that may have been making them feel. Like they are too dirty, too despicable, too unlovable. But God, today we are deciding that we are not listening to all the other voices of people trying to weigh us down with guilt. We're not listening to the voice of the enemy trying to discourage us from coming to you today we are not listening even to the voices inside of our own selves that are telling us that we have to live defeatedly god today we are listening to your voice today we are accepting and claiming the promise that it is not by our own works that we're saved but it's through grace through faith, in you. And no matter where we've been, no matter what consequences or what evidences are in our lives, we can be a new creation. (coughs) Today we ask that you will break the chains of guilt, break those chains of unworthiness, Break the chains of self-defeat. Today, we claim in the power of the name of Jesus that we can be new because you have said it in your word. And so I pray for every woman, every man, every girl, every boy who might be feeling the weight of what has happened in their past. I pray that it will be gone today. And may we recognize that we are valued in your sight because you love us, you care for us, and you've promised it. And we accept and claim your promises In the worthy name of Jesus, let all God's people say amen and amen.